This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of the extensile or extended iliofemoral approach to the acetabulum from the approaches section on orthobullets.com. So the extended iliofemoral approach exposes the entire lateral innominate bone. Indications include transtectal transverse fractures with roof impaction, transverse with posterior wall fractures, T-type fractures, especially with posterior wall involvement, T-type fractures with pubic symphysis dislocation, both column fractures with posterior wall or posterior column comminution, sacroiliac joint involvement, or very high posterior column involvement, delayed fixation of both column, T-type or transverse plus posterior wall fractures, typically greater than three weeks old, and malunion slash nonunion slash deformity correction surgeries. Moving on to preparation, the lateral decubitus position is utilized in the extensile or extended iliofemoral approach to the acetabulum. Now let's talk about the approach. Starting with the incision, the incision is carried along the iliac crest, starting from the PSIS and running anteriorly to the ASIS. It is then continued down from the ASIS in line with the posterior femur. Moving on to the superficial dissection, you will separate the abdominal musculature from the gluteal musculature at the iliac crest. You will then develop the interval between the sartorius and the tensor fascia lata, then retract the tensor laterally and dissect through the fascia lata distal to the muscle longitudinally, and then elevate the tensor fascia lata from the ASIS. Moving on to the deep dissection, you will dissect the gluteal muscles off the iliac crest. Then you will subperiosteally dissect the gluteal muscles off the iliac crest from anterior to posterior and cephalad to caudad. Continue the elevation until the PSIS and greater sciatic notch are encountered. The lateral branches of the anterior femoral circumflex vessels must be ligated to further retract the tensor and fascia lata laterally. Elevate the direct head of the rectus femoris from the pelvis as well as the gluteus minimus off the proximal femur. Sequentially tag and resect the insertions of the gluteus medius slash minimus, piriformis, conjoined tendon, which is specifically the superior and inferior gemelli slash obturator internus, and remember to take care to protect the superior gluteal artery and nerve, as well as the sciatic nerve. Next, you will release the hip capsule if not injured. Access to the internal iliac fossa may be obtained inferiorly by releasing the indirect head of the rectus femoris and superiorly by releasing the abdominal musculature off the iliac wing and elevating the iliacus from the internal fossa. Elevating the abdominal musculature from the iliac crest and iliacus from the internal fossa in this approach will completely devitalize the wing. This aspect of the approach should be used on a very limited basis. Moving on to wound closure, Three drains are placed before closure, one along the posterior column, another in the distal portion of the incision, and a third in the internal iliac fossa. The order of wound closure slash repair includes the hip capsule and external rotators. Then the gluteus medius must be fixed anatomically and with strong sutures. Then the gluteus minimus. Then the rectus femoris origin with transosseous sutures. And keep in mind that knee extension facilitates this repair then the sartorius and abdominal muscles if they were taken down, and finally the fascia, subcutaneous layers, and skin. Now let's end this review session talking about some dangers and complications of the extensile approach to the acetabulum. So complications to keep in mind include heterotopic ossification, an extended patient recovery period, permanent hip abductor weakness, which is expected, and iatrogenic injury. So in terms of heterotopic ossification, the extensile or extended iliofemoral approach to the acetabulum has the highest rate of heterotopic bone formation of all pelvic approaches. 
In terms of iatrogenic injury, structures at risk during this approach include the superior gluteal artery and vein, sciatic nerve, lateral femoral cutaneous nerve, and keep in mind that the lateral branches are always transected, and finally the perforating branches of the femoral artery. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, a 42-year-old male is involved in an MVC and sustains an acetabular fracture. Surgical intervention through an extended iliofemoral approach is planned. Which of the following statements regarding this approach is true? And the choices are 1. It is associated with the highest risk of heterotopic ossification, or HO, compared to the other pelvic approaches. 2. It is performed through the interval between the tensor fascia lata, or TFL, and gluteus maximus. 3. It is performed with the patient in a supine position. 4. Permanent hip abductor weakness is a rare complication. And 5. It places the obturator nerve at risk. The correct answer to this question is 1. It is associated with the highest risk of heterotopic ossification, or HO, compared to the other pelvic approaches. So the extended iliofemoral approach to the acetabulum is associated with the highest risk of heterotopic ossification, or HO, compared to the other pelvic approaches. To quickly review, heterotopic ossification, or HO, is a common complication after the surgical management of acetabular fractures occurring in approximately 7 to 100% of patients. Significant discomfort, stiffness, and poor functional outcomes are seen in some patients with HO. The etiology is multifactorial, and the surgical approach is an important factor. The incidence of HO has been found to be low with the ilioinguinal and anterior intrapelvic or STAPA approaches, intermediate with the Cochrane-Langenbach approach, and high with the extended iliofemoral approach. Debridement of a contused gluteus minimus may help to prevent the formation of HO. Firuzabadi et al. performed a review to determine risk factors for the development of HO after acetabular fracture fixation through an isolated Cochrane-Langenbach approach. They found that the only predictor for the development of HO was the need for prolonged mechanical ventilation. Injury severity score, sex, presence of comminution, femoral head impaction, dislocation, degloving injury, debris in the joint, number of other fractures, and a head and chest abbreviated injury score of greater than 2 did not correlate with severe HO. They therefore state that patients with prolonged mechanical ventilation might benefit from HO prophylaxis given the increased risk of developing severe HO in this patient population. Rath et al. performed a study to determine the impact of necrotic gluteus minimus muscle debridement on the formation of HO after operative treatment of acetabular fractures through a Cochrane-Langenbach approach. They found that necrotic gluteus minimus muscle resection diminishes HO formation comparably to other reported series in which NSAIDs were used. They therefore concluded that the resection of the necrotic gluteus minimus muscle from the zone of injury is an efficient and safe method of preventing significant HO in patients after operative fixation of acetabular fractures treated through a Cochrane-Langenbach approach. Stockley et al. performed a prospective study to assess the rate of anatomic reconstructions as well as approach-related morbidity and complications in the treatment of complex acetabular fractures through a modified extended iliofemoral approach. They found that 80% of patients had an anatomic reduction with a remaining displacement of less than or equal to 1 millimeter. They reported complications to include a loss of reduction in 8%, grade 3 heterotopic ossification in 13%, and AVN in 4%. Griffin et al. performed a study to determine the safety and efficacy of the extended iliofemoral approach in the treatment of complex fractures of the acetabulum. 
they found that significant heterotopic ossification developed in 30% of patients and was associated with worse functional outcomes. They therefore recommended that effective prophylaxis against heterotopic ossification should be strongly considered. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer two, it is performed through the interval between the tensor fasciolata and the gluteus maximus is incorrect, as the extended iliofemoral approach is performed through the interval between the tensor fasciolata and the sartorius. Answer three, it is performed with the patient in a supine position is incorrect, as the extended iliofemoral approach is performed with the patient in a lateral decubitus position. Answer four, permanent hip abductor weakness is a rare complication is incorrect, as permanent hip abductor weakness is an expected, not a rare, complication of the extended iliofemoral approach. And finally, answer five, it places the obturator nerve at risk is incorrect, as neurovascular structures that are at risk during an extended iliofemoral approach include the superior gluteal artery and vein, sciatic nerve, lateral femoral cutaneous nerve, and perforating branches of the femoral artery. Moving on to the next question. A 32-year-old male sustains a complex both-column acetabular fracture, and the operating surgeon decides to utilize an extended iliofemoral approach. The patient should be counseled that as compared with other surgical approaches to the acetabulum, the extended iliofemoral approach has the highest rate of which of the following. And the choices are 1, fracture union, 2, malunion, 3, pudendal nerve palsy, 4, corona mortis injury, and 5, heterotopic ossification. The correct answer to this question is 5, heterotopic ossification. So the extended iliofemoral approach has the highest rate of heterotopic ossification as compared to other acetabular approaches, which is thought to be due to the extensive muscle release from the outer table of the pelvis. To quickly review, the extended iliofemoral approach to the acetabulum is a large extensile exposure that allows access to a large area of pelvis and acetabulum, including the entire lateral aspect of the innominate bone. This approach is most commonly utilized for complex fractures involving both columns or for malunion slash nonunion surgeries of the acetabulum. In addition to the risk of heterotopic ossification, this exposure is also associated with a prolonged patient recovery period and permanent hip abductor weakness, also secondary to the nature of the exposure. Griffin et al. reviewed 106 patients operated on using an extended iliofemoral approach with a minimum follow-up of two years. Fracture reduction was anatomical in 76%, and 64% of patients reported good or excellent functional outcomes. Reduction was correlated with outcome in this analysis. Significant heterotopic ossification was seen in 30%. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, fracture union has not been shown to be increased with this particular approach. Answer 2, return to work is typically delayed in this patient population due to a long recovery period. Answer 3, pudendal nerve palsy has not been shown to be increased in this approach as compared to the other acetabular approaches. And finally, answer 4, the corona mortis is not typically injured with this approach and is usually noted during the stopa approach where it can be inadvertently injured. And moving on to the final question, the extended iliofemoral approach is most indicated for which of the following acute fracture patterns? And the choices are 1, comminuted posterior wall fracture, 2. Posterior wall and posterior column fracture. 3. Transtectal transverse fracture with an impacted roof. 4. Anterior column and posterior hemitransverse fracture. And 5. Simple posterior wall fracture. 
the correct answer to this question is three, transtectile transverse fracture with an impacted roof. So the extended iliofemoral approach was developed by Emile Letourneau as a simultaneous approach to both columns of the acetabulum. This approach exposes the entire lateral innominate bone by posterior reflection of the abductors and reflection of the short external rotators. It can be extended anteriorly into the first iliac window of the ilioinguinal incision if needed. Indications for this approach include transverse and T-type fractures with posterior wall involvement or an impacted roof, both column fractures with posterior wall or posterior column comminution, sacroiliac joint involvement, and transverse fractures more than three weeks old. Disadvantages of this approach include significant stripping of the bone, which can lead to heterotopic bone formation and prolonged abductor weakness and recovery period. The incision starts at the posterosuperior iliac spine, follows the iliac crest to the anterosuperior iliac spine, and then turns slightly lateral to parallel the femur on the anterolateral aspect of the thigh. That's all for this review about the extensile or extended iliofemoral approach to the acetabulum. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.